from the city of brotherly love, this is Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. Here you are. You just arrived to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your rock star wannabe host, David Strausser, and this is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete global chaos. As always, this episode is brought to you by our amazing sponsor, the SAP Global Platinum Partner, Sador. That's S-E-I-D-O-R. If your business is ready to move off of QuickBooks, automate those business processes, it's time for you to check out SAP with Sador. Check them out, Sador.com, or just reach out to me. Now, let's get back to today's episode. It's time for everybody's favorite holiday. No, silly. I'm not talking about Easter. That was yesterday. Okay. I'm actually talking about tax day. We're going to talk about how to maximize that tax refund and make the most out of your money. Yes, your money, because it is your money unless you willingly give it away in your taxes. So who do we have today? None other than Shauna, the tax goddess. Shauna A. Wickerling, CPA, MTAC, CTC, CTS, basically we just call her the tax goddess, is a highly sought after certified public accountant and founder of Tax Goddess Business Services, PC, established in 2004. Tax Goddess is a global team of 65 plus specialists that uses plain language, not tax code, that's for the IRS, to help business owners, investors, and entrepreneurs create plans of actions to increase the business owner's bottom line, reduce costs, significantly reduce taxes, increase cash flow, and perform what-if scenario options so that owners know what decisions to make and which paths are best suited for their particular situation. So hey, without further ado, let's bring the tax goddess right on in here. It's all about the money. The money. Shauna, the tax goddess. Welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You, my friend, you just became shark bait. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So we have a tradition on the show. Very first question we ask every single guest, okay? What's your background? What's your experience? How did you get to do what you're doing? What do you do for a living? Basically, in a nutshell, tell us what makes Shauna, Shauna. Ooh, okay. It's a big question. Uh, you tell me when I need to stop telling stories because I am a storyteller by nature. So, no, that's uh, fine. I'll let you talk. <laughs> so I actually started off in all things. I started off in astrophysics. And wow. when I was young, I thought for sure. And I wanted to work for JPL. That was my dream. That's where I wanted to be. And very long story short, uh, my family, my mother is a general contractor and she got a notice in the mail one day from the IRS, that, that, yeah. uh, you know, the, 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 the dark side, right? At the time I was a freshman in college and she got this notice and I, I adore my mother, right? She's my yeah. goddess from all the, all the perspectives. And she was so upset visibly. She was sitting at the, at the table and so upset and kind of pushed back from the table and just normally she's a very stoic woman. And so of course right. I'm looking at her going, are you okay? Going, yeah. No, I got this notice from the IRS and, you know, I pay these people so much money and I've worked with my CPA and my financial advisor and like, nobody can help me reduce the taxes. And it flipped a switch in my brain because good or bad as an astrophysicist, I'm all about math, right? Give me the mm-hmm. numbers. I, if anybody can figure this out and if anybody cares enough 
to figure it out. It's a daughter, right? Mm -hmm. So went to the business college and very long story short, they said, oh, oh, an astrophysicist wants to come to the business college. You should be in accounting and finance, right? So fine, start taking classes, start learning, start reading every article I can, you know, every magazine, book, whatever it is. Get to my senior year and absolutely hated accounting and finance. Most boring thing on the face of the planet, right? Because from my perspective, all I was doing was recording history. Go back to my mom and I'm like, well, mom, I'm trying to help you. I've got a few strategies here, but you know, nothing, nothing big, nothing crazy. And she said, well, I mean, let's go focus on tax, you know, because I think that's going to be much more fun. So took tax classes. Finding the tax man. Finding the tax man, exactly. (laughs) Finally, as a senior, they let you take tax classes specifically. And that's where I fell in love. Was able to combine both, you know, helping my family and something that you actually love and are passionate about. And I think the biggest thing that really caught my attention, this is why accounting in normal terms was very boring because that's recording history. Taxes is a giant game of chess. So you have a bunch of rules and a bunch of pieces, and depending on how you move them, in what coordination you get to your goal, which is effectively a zero percent tax rate, right? That's right. the goal for everyone right. legally, right? Don't do like I do and just throw numbers in the block and hope <laughs> that you don't get a letter. Right there, a little bit of a tangent. We use something called an aggression scale, okay? okay. And it, it looks at every <laughs> single tax strategy exactly. We, we coined this term. We created this term. So zero to 10, zero meaning the IRS never calls you never ever, except for a random audit, which can happen, yep. okay? 10 meaning we're all going to jail, okay? Yeah. And what you just described is a nine, right? We call it the Al Capone, right? I'm going to do bad things or figure <laughs> out numbers and hope I never get caught, okay? <laughs> so we, we try to drag people to an eight, which is, you know, the, the highest on our level that we're willing to go. So take all the strategies, use everything you possibly can, but of course, nothing illegal, right? As a redhead, red and orange do not go well together. So yeah. I'm not going to jail. I hope you don't go to jail, right? This is a, this is our strategy. So yeah. when we first meet with a new client, we always ask them, well, where do you sit on this scale? Because if they say most entrepreneurs are seven, eight, six, seven, eight, sometimes they'll tell me 20 and I'm like, no, 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 no. Come back to the good side, right? Like we're on this side, we're on the eight side. But some people want to be a two, you know, they want some tax strategies, but they really don't want to ever hear from the IRS. They, you know, they just, and so every person has their thing. So sorry for the mini tangent, but oh, no, yeah, that's great. I love living never... in danger and you just confirmed it. So I'm good. <laughs> you're my nine. You're my nine. I yeah. love it. Um, you know, most people don't even think about that as a question for their professional team. They really don't. Because they, they go to a CPA, they go to their financial advisor and they say, well, I like you as a person and I agree with your investment philosophy or, you know, I just, I, I think that you do a good job. I've never been off of it, right? Well, the problem is if you are a level eight as an entrepreneur and your CPA is a level two, firstly, they're not even bringing you level four, five, six, seven, eight strategies. Like they just either don't know them or they know about them, but they won't tell you, right? So they're mm-hmm. automatically filtering things that you may want on your file. Right. So uh, it's actually really important. It's one of the questions we tell everyone, please go ask your CPA, your bookkeeper, your financial advisor, this aggression scale question. Because if they don't line up with you, it might be time to go find someone else. Got a lot of synergy, that story there with uh, something that's going on with my family. I won't throw them under the bus, but, you know, they didn't get a letter from the IRS. They actually got it from an insurance company, a I believe it was like a 1099 or something like that. Mm. 
and uh, for life insurance, yeah, too, uh, because I guess they took out money towards the policy or whatever. And uh, yeah, or something like that. I, I don't know, but it was one of those. It's one of those, I think, term life policies, if I remember correctly. Um, and that's where it makes absolute uh, like no, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. And he like and it's he's on Social Security and he, you know, retired and he gets his 90K 1099 tax bill and he's been trying to get more information from the insurance company. And like this? he's got to yeah. file taxes. He's trying to figure it out. So now he's like, I got to do an extension. Uh, and his only his only the only path forward that he can find is he's got to sue them because they pretty much stonewalled all his requests as far as how did you come up with this number? What's it, what is this number based upon all that stuff? And obviously if it's a 1099, it's being reported to the IRS, especially if it's 90 K there's an option though. Let's back up. So, um, always, always, if anyone ever gets into a situation like this of any kind, make sure you keep really good records. So here is step one, right? Here are the 15 emails. Here's who I spoke to. I left a voicemail for this person on this date, this time, right? Keep really good records of what you've done to try to obtain this information, okay? Second thing is when you go to file the tax return, so you are correct, right? If you received a 1099, copy got reported to the IRS, you're supposed to report the income. However, the IRS normally will not get into like arguments about who's right, who's not, whatever, but you have reasonable doubt as to whether this number is correct. Right. I mean, what it sounds like is he doesn't even know what this number ties to. Right. So you can, when you file the tax return, you can report the 90,000, but you can report a line right under it saying, according to my records, I never received $90,000. I'm in arguments. You can like attach a statement basically saying, I'm trying to figure out what this is. I'm reporting it, but I don't have this cash. So I don't know why I'm being taxed on it. Now, what the IRS will do, this does, of course, put like a flag, you know, not not in a bad way, but it means that typically an IRS agent will actually look at the file like a person, not a computer, you know? No algorithms, right? No algorithms. Not on this one. Good. um, Yeah, so it does, it gives you the ability to basically try to, I don't want to call it hedging because that's not right, but it gives him time to try to figure out what's going on. Because if he literally, if he never received the $90,000 in cash, he has no idea what it ties to, right? It's you mentioned a loan, but if he's paying his loan, like if they're refusing to give him any information, at least he has an out with the IRS. Now, of course, if he receives the money, he yeah. needs to pay the tax on it. It's a different matter. Right. But there are ways that you can file the tax return and not pay the tax with it's basically called reasonable doubt. What would be better in this case then? I mean, obviously you don't know every single detail, just a high level overview, and I might not be accurate in every aspect, but say that is generally accurate. Uh, what would be better filing for an extension and trying to figure it out or going the reasonable doubt route with the IRS to try to get them just to be like, okay, we're not going to charge it because uh, well, we me, can't determine. Yeah. Let me back up. So um, an extension is only an extension of time to file. It's not right. an extension of time to pay. And to give him time to figure out to get it resolved through the legal channel, right? Absolutely. Because otherwise, being on Social Security, I think he'd have zero tax liabilities, whereas 
a 90k thing i mean that's kind of doesn't that mess up social security doesn't that do a lot like, of bad right. things and that's, <laughs> that's where board, yeah. right that's where yeah. it needs to be rectified in one way or, or another well and so again i come back to that aggression scale i really do okay because if you want to be conservative then you pay the tax on the 90,000, right? You'd Which you cannot afford. Post Social Security. Yeah, you'd at least file the extension showing the tax owed on the 90,000 if you're being conservative. Okay. okay. Maybe you can't pay it, but make sure you file that extension properly, right? Um, the other side of it is you don't, right? You don't file, you file an extension, right? But you don't report the taxable income. So the, the, the guess that you're making is, well, which way is this going to go down, mm-hmm. right? So this is why I'm saying it's an aggression level. Do you want to go the conservative route to make sure your extension is good and that it's approved and everything else, right? Or do you go the more aggressive route and say, no, I don't think this is real. I never received the 90,000 cash. I have no idea what this number is and they're stonewalling me. Um, And therefore you don't report it with the understanding that at some point it's going to I mean, is there a chance that if they did what you had said as far as filing the return and then putting in that documentation so that it gets the the red flag, gets an IRS agent involved, that it either gets thrown out like uh, from the IRS, uh, perhaps, or they're going to investigate whether it's an actual tax liability or not? Will they audit the 1099? No. The IRS does not get involved in arguments. Their job is a reporting function. So it's very similar. You know, you have cases where somebody's in the middle of a divorce and both parents report the same child, right? Either return, right? The IRS will not get involved in the argument. They'll send a letter to both people saying, you both reported this, fix it. We don't care how you do it, but fix it, right? So either way, they're going to send it back to your family member here for you to fix it. Really, what you're trying to do with the IRS is trying to prevent against penalties and interest for underpayment if it's correct. Right. So it's, yeah, either way, they will not get involved. Like, it's not like they're going to go after the, the insurance company and you did a false 1099. I mean, the IRS can barely handle the workload they have, let alone chasing down people that do something wrong. Which is why I make up numbers for my taxes. So um, <laughs> how can, uh, you talked about saving money strategies, your scale of zero to 10. I mean, when it comes down to it, how can companies really, you know, have a strategy as far as saving money in taxes throughout the year? Well, and I, it's a great way. I love the way that you phrase that because it is during the year. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's really two time periods that with relation to a single tax year, there's during the year. Right. So, for example, right now we're in 2023. So anything you do during the year is going to help you reduce your profit and therefore reduce your taxes. Right. Now, reducing profit is always kind of a question because people are like, well, I don't want to just spend money to spend money. And I'm like, it's not what I'm talking about. Right. What I'm talking about is taking profit, putting it somewhere where you get to keep it, but you get a tax. Right. So utilizing, we look at about 400 strategies for every single client. So depending on your business, depending on the industry, depending on whether you're married, have kids, own a house, like all of these kinds of things, we look at which strategies are going to work best for your business and for you. I do ERP. Okay. Uh, Enterprise, enterprise resource planning systems with SAP with um, a sponsor of this episode, SAP and Sador USA. But um, with them, they, uh, you know, the end of the year is our busy season because for tax reasons, everybody wants to purchase before 1231 because yeah. that's when they have it budgeted. They have to spend it this year or else 
potentially it's not budgeted for next year because they decide, well, you didn't buy a system. We're going to allocate the money elsewhere. So the IT yeah. people or CFO or whoever may be, nope, nope, nope. We're, we're buying by 1231. We want the tax savings. And then a lot of them, what they'll do, even though I guess they're paying out for the implementation, like say they buy 1231.23, okay? <laughs> they claim the whole... They, they claim the whole project for the contract signed, even though they're paying out payments the, the following year. And then they claim depreciation on the following year, even though they still don't have the system up live and running. But that's one of the, the strategies that our customers use a lot of times. And there's a whole lot to unpack in what you just said, right? So yeah. depending on the company that's buying, depending on their size of revenue, gross revenue, um, some some companies are allowed to report on cash. Some companies are allowed to report on accrual. So depending on how you report right. your financial statements, right? Um, and then depreciation, there are special exclusions, special mm -hmm. uh, exemptions. So uh, with most equipment, with most software, with most of whatever, you can't depreciate it until it's placed in service, right? But right. there are some that are exceptions that say, okay, well, if you have more than 20% of it placed in service, you can go ahead and appreciate it. So really depends on what somebody's buying, when they're I, buying it. I think it. it's because the software is usually such a large portion of it and the software is in service as of day one. It's oh, so usually the software cost is going to be more than 20% of uh, the total cost of implementation. Uh, yeah. Usually it could be 30, 40, 50. I mean, we have some cases where it's 70% because they have a lot of users, but a very simple business, and it's only 50000 to deploy the business, but it could be 130000 in software. That's a backwards yeah. case. It does not happen very often, but For it sure. does happen every now and then. And the software, if they buy on 1231, it is ordered on 1231 because SAP is a public company and they need Yay. that for their <laughs> fiscal year end, quarter fiscal quarter year financial end. results. So it is actually ordered and in service as of 1231. And there you go. So that, that's that, why they're getting that's probably why it qualifies them. What other, you know, tax saving strategies? Because I mean, I know everybody's filled out a job application and, you know, they ask, are you, you know, Native American? Are you a veteran? Are you disabled? You know, those types of questions. Are those types of things that actually give your business credits to actually help save you on taxes? Like, how does that work exactly? Absolutely. Well, and those questions can apply in like 18 different ways, right? Mm -hmm. But from a tax perspective, yeah. So for example, hiring veterans in your company can actually give you certain kinds of employment credits. So dollar for dollar based on certain amount of wages, like up to certain limits that you're paying to veterans. Um, some companies, <clears throat> excuse me, some companies will have more of an HR uh, direction on things like that. You know, we have to have a certain percentage of our workforce that is uh, different races, you know, this kind of thing. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, from a pure tax perspective, normally more what we look at is the type of business. So are you manufacturing? Are you um, a real estate investment? Are you a doctor's office? You know, these right. kinds of things. And then who, who and what do you have on staff? So for example, you were mentioning more software versus equipment. Well, do you have more people than equipment? Um, mm -hmm. Do you, what kinds of things do you actually, do you produce something in your business or is it all services? So right. more often with tax strategies, what we're looking at is uh, what is the gross revenue of the business? So every dollar that comes in the door, 
uh, what is the net profit of the business, right? Because mm-hmm. you've seen many companies, huge gross revenue, right? But nothing when it gets down to net profit. profit. Yep. Yeah. And then really, what is the goal for the owner? So with some owners, for example, if you're three years out from wanting to sell your business, you may not want to reduce your profit to the bare minimum, right? Because if your profit's small, who's going to want to buy your business, right? You right. might want a larger profit. But if you've, if you've got another 10, 15, 20 years of running your business, mm-hmm. you probably want the smallest net profit you can to then reduce the taxes. So yeah. a lot of when we're creating a tax strategy is more looking at who are you, the owner, and what are you trying to accomplish? You know, for some people that's, I want to retire, I want to really bulk up my retirement, or I have kids and I want to put them through college and buy their first house. Um, I had one client, very first thing he said to me ever was, I want to buy a million dollar yacht. Can you help me write it off? And I'm like, yes, I can. Okay. Really, You know, it just depends on who you are and what you're looking for. Right. And I think this is, you know, we talked about the aggression scale. I think this is one of the other key factors that a lot of CPAs miss. You know, there, there's a huge difference between a CPA and a tax strategist, a, a tax preparer and a tax strategist. If you look at Google, right, Google mm-hmm. says there are 660,000 CPAs in the U.S. So wow. I'm a CPA, right? There's only 60,000 that have a master's in taxation. So we start to specialize, right? Mm-hmm. Then there are 607, what are called CTC, so Certified Tax Coach. There are 15 wow. CTS, Certified Tax Strategists. So out of 660,000, there's 15 people like me that do what we do, right? Wow. And all we do, hyper-specialize on tax strategy. We, we had someone f- on the show that actually is in, maybe not your category, but his is around payroll tax. and. With his oh, special, he, he's like, there's yeah. like, I think, I think he said 20 people, but if you went to the IRS, if you had to go to federal corp with the IRS over a payroll tax, I am not a lawyer, but I am legally allowed to represent you as a lawyer would expert. with payroll tax. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a perfect example of how, you know, different CPAs do different things. And I think this is one of the biggest fallacies that business owners have in their minds. You know, I've had my CPA for 20 years. They do all the strategy stuff for me. Like I don't need, I don't need a separate strategist. If your CPA has been doing it for 20 years and you're still paying more than 7% tax, you need a strategist, right? You're missing, you know, they, they haven't sent you to jail. They've made sure you're legal. They've done everything properly. They filed all your forms. That's great. But you're missing the other side of that coin. And so for a lot of people, they just don't even realize that there's a difference between a CPA and a tax strategist or a tax preparer. That's where it drives me nuts that, you know, you'll see uh, online places like uh, Twitter um, or other places (laughs) like that where it's, uh, oh, they don't pay enough taxes and stuff like that. And that always kind of drives me nuts because bipartisan support has pretty much put in place the laws and loopholes. And if you want to call them loopholes, I don't call them loopholes because it's not a loophole. It's the law, you know, it's It's how the law is written. And both sides of the aisle have kind of come up, you know, sometimes it's more one side than the other side, but both sides have come up with the current tax code uh, throughout different administrations and congressional sessions and all that stuff. And therefore, 
you know, it's not really, you know, cheating the system if you're doing things by the book to minimize how much taxes you are paying. And if you end up paying two or three percent, uh, well, then you're doing more power to you. Uh, yeah, more power yes. to you. That's yes. exactly how. I view it. I mean, I don't view it as a, a bad thing. And if you feel that those people should be paying more, well, then it comes down to, you know, change the law, you know, change, change the tax code. Well, and of course, I'm looking at it going, listen, this is one of the, the benefits of being an American citizen, right? As if it's a government law, it works for them, it works for you, period. Because yep. as you said, the law is the law, right? And, and I'm with you. But if, if you as an individual would like to pay more tax, Proceed. Most people don't know this. There's actually a form jobs. that you can fill out to pay the government extra tax. Like here, I want to, I, I want to, I don't send feel like money. I pay enough tax. So you fill out a form and you They'll send them it. a check <laughs> and you can pay more money in free taxes mm -hmm. if you want to. Most people don't intentionally choose to do that, but you're right. Some people do. And there you go. And so, yes. I no. wonder how many so people do do that. Are there any statistics out published? I have no idea. That's a great question. I have no idea. Yeah, no that, idea. That, I'll that, tell you, I mean, I've been, be in for, been in practice for 25 years. I'm ex-KPMG. I have never, right? Ever. Yep. But on the other side of that, you know, the people that contact someone like me and, and tax goddess and what we do uh, are not looking to pay extra. <laughs> right? They're so, looking to pay less. Exactly. Pay less. I guess let's just jump into our last topic issue is going to be uh, business growth in the digital space. How do you think that's going in 2023? I mean, you have all the tech firms given major layoffs, most layoffs in the tech industry ever uh, in history of technology, of modern technology, I guess you can say, since uh, right, the digital right. age probably started in the 70s, I guess most yep. people would really say. When Apple, computers yeah. kind of became a little bit more mainstream, you know, mainframe. I mean, you can kind of go back to the 50s, I guess, or maybe even late 40s. But realistically, it was probably the modern age I view started in, in the 70s. And we've had the most layoffs um, in a long time. You have companies like uh, Apple to Google, well, Alphabet, Meta, all everybody laying people off, yep. shutting down services. Um, how is that impacting everything? And my personal take, I'll give you that first, and then I'd love to hear your response, is it gives other people an opportunity because a lot of these um, employees were hired pretty much uh, competitors won't get them. And if the big tech, you know, they're shutting down solutions or scaling back. I think it opens up the doors for competitors to come in. And I was about to say to grow competitors. So right. I'm a big believer in cycles, right? And effectively, every 20 years, there's a merge and then there's a collapse and there's a merge and there's a collapse, right? Me, I don't have the book with me, but... Um... Have you ever read The Fourth Turning? I have. I am I a, a huge <laughs> believer in The Fourth Turning. And so real quick, for people that do not, we've talked about this a few times on the show, but I imagine not everybody has watched every single episode. So I will forgive you if you've missed it, <laughs> okay? Um, the Fourth Turning is a book written by two people that coincidentally met. They were speaking at the same event, and when they were hearing each other speak, they're like, hey, my research has to do a little bit with your research. And they ended up connecting. In fact, I like it because the one guy's last name is Strauss. And, you know, I'm Strausser. So 
I don't know, maybe we're related somehow, you know, just, just, just didn't translate the, the name right when they came from Germany. I don't know. Um, but anyways, what this book is, is it was written in the late 90s. And it was like, if our research is true, okay, uh, somewhere between, I think it was 2022, 2024 at the earliest through 2028 in this time period, rough, like a cycle uh, is pretty much a full 80 years and they're split in 20 year segments. Okay. 20 year, year chunks. And they're like proof of this. And they go all the way back 80 years, 80 years, 80 years. Um, And they said that now what they found was everywhere around the world has these types of cycles, but they may be at different 80 year points. They may be longer than 80 years. But every region has it. It seems like more of the Anglo-Saxon, like United States, I, I think they may have counted like UK or Canada, stuff like that. Those types of cultures were more on the 80-year cycle. And that's what this book was really focusing on. And it was like, and this is in the late 90s. They're like, if this is true, you know, like something big will happen, you know, like a World War Three or Civil War, something like that crazy something. could happen, you know, between 2022 to 2028. Because if you look at what was it, 80 years back, I think you had a uh, um, World War Two. And then I think they were like 80 years back, you know, or it wasn't 80 years when they wrote the book. But, you know, 80 years back would be World War II. You go 80 years back from there, you're at the Civil War. 80 years back before there, you're at the Revolutionary War. And they, they, you know, it's kind of crazy. It's a crazy book to, to read. And they're like, this is our hypothesis and only time will tell if it's actually true or not. Let's see. Well, and I think this is where 80 years for sure, but the 20 year chunks, right, yeah, is the what- The 20 year I'm generational seeing. chunks, I believe they're called. In business. Yeah. Because, you know, I've been through one of them. I'm not that old yet, but I've been through <laughs> one of them so far. And, uh, you know, this is absolutely what I've seen in about six different industries, right? The accounting mm-hmm. industry, the tech industry, finance industry, right? Uh, everything, you know, everybody merges. We create these giant Google where they do all the things or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And then they start breaking down. They co- collapse, right? They start breaking down into a bunch of little tiny chunks. So your question about, well, what's going to happen to all these people laying off? Well, those people that just got laid off are effectively what I'm seeing, saying, yeah, so sure I don't want to work for a big boy anymore. I think I'm going to go open my own shop and they create an app. They create a new piece of technology. They That's create what happened in the Great Recession that gave us all the major tech companies we have today. Yep. And so in 20 years, they all buy each other back up again. And it's a, a general 20-year cycle. So yeah. I'm with you. I, I like your choice of the word opportunity. Because that's exactly, in my opinion, what this is. You know, a lot of people, we had COVID. A lot of people were then working from home. Big companies were trying to get people back to, into the office. And they're going, no, <laughs> like, why? I don't have to be there. So, I've been you know, lucky. I have not worked in an office in, I don't know, 15 years. About, you know, and it's just, it's just a different world from that standpoint. You know, our tax goddess is now, a, we've got 89 people on staff in 20 different countries. It's fantastic from that standpoint, because we can hire some of the most brilliant minds from around the globe to do what we do specifically. Well, you can get subject matter experts from anywhere, especially because now people are used to working from home. And I think it was Soledad O'Brien on the show who was like, uh, at that time it was mid-pandemic. And she's like, it's hard to say that anything good happened from COVID, but 
if you could argue that something good happened, it kind of pushed us off the digital forefront. It pushed us off the yeah. digital edge and it made a lot of companies accept tools. Like for example, Microsoft Teams, which was Skype Ooh. for business stuff, Zoom, <laughs> stuff like yeah. that. It, yeah. People started using those tools that have existed for years and it pushed them to do things and rethink how they do things like, hey, we're doing this just for the sake of doing it. You know, yeah. why are so we doing why? that? It, it yeah. made people rethink their business, their business processes. Yeah. And now a lot more are streamlined. Now, will that be good for the future? Who knows? Commercial real estate's down. That's taken a, a big hit because a lot of, I have customers well, have like, hey, it. we have Regis office, you know, because we might have one employee that that is really valuable to us that cannot work from home. Plus, we do need an official business location. So they work from Marija's office and that's it. Everybody else works from home, mobile, remote, you know, and yep. it's really it's really kind of shaken up our world. But I think for the better. Yep. I agree. I mean, so, certainly there were some bad things, but there's yep. a lot of really good things that came out, too. So The good with the bad, the bad with the good. Well, I definitely, I definitely understand why they call you the tax goddess. So please do us us all a favor. Tell us how people can find out more about you, your website. If you have any books or articles or anything out there, tell us how people, you know, how people can reach out to you. Oh, you're sweetheart. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty easy to find the company taxgoddess.com. We specialize in tax strategy, of course. So uh, but yeah, I've got a couple of books. I've got one out, one coming out, um, the Amazon. So you can always look, just look up Tax Goddess. Super easy to find pretty much anywhere. TikTok, YouTube, the website. Uh, but yeah, the, if you are looking for tax strategy, if you want, actually, this is the new book. I'll give you a sneak Oh, sneak peek. There we go. Not completely done yet. But the the 6% life. life. Exactly. Uh, beautiful this cover. Is, thank you. Our... Uh, our average tax rate for our clients is 6.92%. So wow. if you're paying less that are more than 6.92%, you'd like to pay less, come find us. We'd love to speak with you. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much for coming on, Jana. This has been thank amazing. And I urge everybody, please check out, uh, what was it, taxgoddess.com or the taxgoddess.com? Taxgoddess.com. We'll have the link in the description down below. Please make sure you check out Shana and her company because, as you've heard, she is amazing. Thank you again, Shana. Thanks for having me. Yep. Cheers. Oh, wow. That was such an incredible chat with Shana, right? First, you all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, if it sparked those warm and fuzzies, do me a favor, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. But if you really want to help us out, because you know Shark Bite Biz is the greatest kept secret in the world of small business, please share us out to your friends, your family, your colleagues, whoever you want, wherever you want, wherever you dwell on the interwebs, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Minds, Mastodon, I don't care. Just share it out. I would love nothing more than to see Shark Bite Biz and Shauna the Tax Goddess out there trending. Now let's get back to the real rock star of this show, Shauna the Tax Goddess. I tell you what, okay? I've never had so much fun talking about such a mundane topic like taxes. Seriously, Shauna the Tax Goddess, well... <laughs> yeah, you definitely were a tax goddess and your expertise shined right 
through. The thing that stuck with me the most was your risk scale, I believe it was. It was a scale, I think it was from zero to 10, about how much risk you're willing to take. And I think that's kind of a good thing and a good way to measure things. I mean, it's also good zero to 100. I mean, zero to 10, much more simplified. Now, remember, when you're willing to do risk with your taxes, okay, that does not mean that you're doing tax fraud. And obviously, I'm not a financial advisor. You all know this by now, but Shauna is. It's not tax fraud, but what you're doing is you're taking existing laws, or as some people try to call them, loopholes, but it is the law, whether it's a loophole or not, and you're just trying to push that law to the limits to see if you're able to get away with it and save money. I mean, that can be a good thing. Some people can abuse it, and it can be a bad thing, okay? Obviously, we're telling you this stuff not for you to abuse it and do it for the wrong reasons. We're trying to inform you so that you could do it for the right reasons because it's money that you should not be paying out to the government. Then again, I don't think that's a bad thing, at least me personally. While she specializes in tax for businesses, you can also easily see how a lot of this knowledge and a lot of what we talked about transfers over to regular people like me, like you, like the solopreneurs out there, self-employed people out there, you know, single member LLCs, for example, that same advice transfers right over to you. All around, though, Shauna the Tax Goddess, you gave some solid advice and some really, really awesome tips. Amazing stuff, Shauna. I really love how you help businesses and people save money. Because when they save money, guess what? We get raises. We hire more people. It's a good thing when businesses save money most of the time. I mean, obviously, you always have some bad apples in the bunch that they save money and they put it in their pocket. Not, you know, charitable to the rest of the people on their team. But I, you know, I don't know. I maybe... I'm too happy ears with this, but I like to think people tend to do good with it. The businesses do good by reinvestment into their companies and their people to make the organization as a whole better if they save money on taxes. That's just my hot take. Please check out Shauna's website at taxgoddess.com. Question of the day, how far do you push a line with your taxes? Leave a comment down below, or if you're in Spotify, you can actually answer the question as well, too, because Spotify now has video and allows us to do some Q&A. So check us out on Spotify if you love the show. Share us out, like I said earlier. Do you want to be on the show? interviews at sharkbitebiz.com please if you're watching on youtube or spotify you can join the channel on youtube it's three dollars a month okay on youtube i think it's two dollars a month and you can become a baby shark okay every dollar we earn goes right back into making this show bigger better you know, getting the word out, better equipment, better production, all that stuff. And lastly, none of this would be possible without our amazing sponsor, Sador. If your business is on QuickBooks and you need that next step up, you need to automate things, please reach out to this SAP platinum level partner that's around globally 
Sador.com. You all know this by now, but I'll say it once again. I'm David Strausser. This is Shark Bite Biz. We'll see you all next week. Cheers. You just experienced Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. Please like, comment, and subscribe to the show to help us spread the word about personal, professional, and business growth. Want to be on the show? Send an email to interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. A special shout out to our sponsor, SAP Platinum Partner, Sador. Get off QuickBooks and move your business to the next level. Reach out for more info. Thanks for listening and see you next time.